the object of Taxi Chronicles to sell our real riders with real stories, share their experience and enhance your life. So sit back and enjoy the journey. Morning, morning, morning. Yes, we're back with another episode, another rider. Today we have an interesting guy all the way from Afghan or Russia, however you see it. You will find out surely enough. And he's going to tell us about his ancestral life story and his story and give us an insight into stuff about Afghanistan that I never knew. And you know I'm a lover of history. So nice to have you here today, Billy. Thank you. It's nice to have you as a driver. <laughs> okay, that's good. <laughs> so Vinny, we have to start recap a bit. Tell us the story, you're half Russian, half Afghan. Yeah, correct. Okay, so tell us, just recap on what you told me earlier about the history of Afghan, why the Russians moved in, and where your grandparents come into play. So, right as the war started, and my mother's side and my father's side, they were basically working together against the terrorists in Afghanistan. And long story short, after many, many years of fighting against them, my father's side, his dad. Sorry, who was the terrorist? Just the Taliban, basically. Oh, it was the Taliban, okay. Yeah. The Tal was it Mujahideen? It wasn't Mujahideen. Yeah, the Mujahideen, basically. So it was Mujahideen there. So Russia had moved in yeah. already. No, sorry, so just going back a bit, you said there was an empire. Yeah. The modern Afghan. Yeah, so the basically before the Mujahideen and everything took over, Afghanistan was very modernized. It would be no different than any European country. So the traditional clothing and stuff that you see nowadays that they're wearing and the way that the women are like veiled up and stuff, that wasn't really a thing like around back then. Mm -hmm. So when the Mujahideen moved in and started taking over and taking control, then things started to change, obviously because of fear and control. And, and the, this was before the Russians moved in? Yeah. Okay. And around that second time as well, so th this was carried on. But um, why why did the regime change? You know what? I don't think it's changed at all because <laughs> it's still going on till this day. <laughs> no, I mean when I say the regime, where the where everything was modern and everything was really pleasant, what oh, happened religion, to that? Religion, religion, of course. So because, uh, because Afghanistan is uh, even though it's in Asia, even though it's in, in Asia, it's it was still a Muslim country. So the Mujahideen were like, this is a Muslim country, we need to follow a specific law and, and everything. Mm. But before all of that, even though they were Muslim, they were still like modernized, you know? Mm -hmm. Like kind of like Turkey and all these other countries you see. When you go there, you don't see mm. them wearing, they, you see them wearing modernized clothes and stuff, yeah. you know, suits and whatever. Mm -hmm. So all of that happened, but I don't know too much of the history of that. Okay. But, so, in depth at least. Yeah, so back to the part you said your grandparents was fighting on the Russian side against Mujahideen. Yeah, so both of my grandfathers were generals. One was uh, a general in the Russian military and the other one was a general in the Afghan military. But on my Afghan side, my father's father basically was in control of like the special forces back then. Okay. In Kandahar. Oh. So he went to battle with the soldiers because he didn't want to leave them to just go in. He said it would set a bad example. He ended up dying. Okay. And once he died, my mother's side, because uh, my grandfather on my mother's side as well, they were working together. They became friends after like many years of just like having this joint operation. So he took my father to Czechoslovakia. Back then it was Czech Republic. And 
when you took him over there, you put him in university and everything, he got his PhD, and multiple years after all of that happened, he ended up getting married to my mom, which was the daughter, obviously. Mm -hmm. So, you're born in uh, in Russia? Yeah, correct. Your dual nationality or dual heritage, in that um, sense? Well, technically I would be, but when I came to this country, it was pretty hard to keep a Russian and a British passport at the same time. Oh, is it? Yeah, because obviously because of like the conflict and everything even back then, you know. But so, so wait a minute. I didn't know that. So they said you can't have a Russian passport. Yeah, so I had to surrender my Russian passport basically. And the only way for you to keep it is to go through like a lot of like basically just a lot of trouble. And yeah, I didn't and, know they yeah, do that. Through the embassy. It's, it's still possible, but obviously it's just too long. The process is very, very long and complicated. Oh, so that's very prejudiced. That is. Yeah. <laughs> well, well it, I would have thought it is because this. <laughs> Things have obviously changed now. Oh, they've changed now. Yeah. So it's uh, not quite the same. Oh, I thought you were talking like recently. Nah, no, no. This is 1999 when I came here. Okay. So back then, I had to basically surrender my Russian passport. But 1999. Uh, uh, Cold War had ended, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, around. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, so uh, it ended in ninety-one. Ninety-two, yeah. yeah oh, ninety-two. Yeah. Okay. And that's when Ukraine was created as well. All right. So, so what was life like growing up in Russia? Honestly, I, I like from an honest point of view, because I still work here. If you work in Russia, you have money, and you can put food on the table. If you don't work, you don't get benefits or anything. So you basically suffer if you don't work. So when you say benefits, what, what do you mean? If you don't have a job here, for example, now you have like universal credit, the job seekers allowance and everything, right? Whereas in Russia, you don't have that. And the only benefits that I'm aware of that you do have and you did have were, if you have children, you get money for that. So the more children that you have, the more money you get. So there's lots of people with lots of children then? Yeah, for the most part. Oh, okay. Did you feel part of, did you feel part, do you feel fully Russian or do you feel like there's um, no racism or anything like that? No, no to be honest with you, I mean, uh, the, there, there's loads of uh, Russian Muslims and stuff, to be honest with you. There's Russian Jews, Russian Muslims, then there's Orthodox Christian Russians. So it's, Russia's like pretty diverse as well, but obviously the, the Muslims are towards the Caucasus side, where Dagestan and Chech, uh, Chechnya is. Okay. So, even even back then, even though back then when I was born in 1992, around then and, and even up until the late 90s, there was a war with the Chechens and everything, which were the Muslims. But now they're basically perfectly fine and, and all cool with each other after loads of like fighting. But what was the war with the Chechens about? To be honest, with you, I don't even know too much about that. But it was quite complicated. I haven't really looked into the history of it. It's interesting to what you say because. You always kind of get the perception through the news that Russia is very racist, prejudiced and all this other stuff. I know you shouldn't really listen to the BBC, but that's the kind of perception you have. Yeah, exactly. That's what you're told at least, right? Yeah, it's really bad. I know they haven't been keen on black people. That's all not many people are. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> in that respect. Surprisingly, the only country in the world right now that's actually fully helping out the African regions are the Russians right now because the majority of NATO, whenever they go over there for quote-unquote peacekeeping operations, 
they go there to basically take the resources uh -huh. where it's diamonds and minerals and rocks and whatever else they can get yeah. whereas the Russians right now they're, they're over there pushing out NATO they've been there for like a few years now since, since they went into Syria when America went yeah. in there Okay. So they're, they're qu uh, pretty close with them. The Africans are pretty like close with Russia now. Yeah, I hear, I hear. So what's, what do you, what's, do you have a take on the Russia-Ukraine situation? Honestly, from, from what, what perspective? From like my perspective or from like just You're, the countries? Well, but you, well, let's say both. Okay, well, realistically, if you look at the history of Ukraine, like I said, it's only been around since 92 and basically Ukraine is basically Russia even though they don't want to admit that if you ask the old school mm. the older generation in Ukraine who you're gonna side with whether it's like a country like the UK for example or a country like Russia over 80% of them would say we're Russian mm -hmm. we want to go and join Russia again which is why the wars turned out the way that it has a lot of the people that surrendered ended up going towards the Russian border instead of the Polish border because there's not much to do when you go to the Polish border then you have to go through like God knows how many months and years before you're a citizen of whatever country you end up in, right? Mm. Whereas you had the option at the beginning of the war, Putin said, if you want to come over to Russia, you're Russians by nationality and by heritage, you're more than welcome to come. We'll, we'll give you passports and everything. Mm. So that's why a lot of the Russians ended up, well, the Ukrainians ended up going back to Russia, the older generation at least. But the younger generation were obviously westernized because Ukraine's very close with America and NATO and the UK. So the younger generation decided to go towards the Polish border so they could basically come and find a quote-unquote better and a new life. Mm. But other than that, I it, it was it was inevitable. It was it was bound to happen, but the media just twisted everything apart like with the way that they were just handing over weapons to Ukraine and with all these like labs and stuff that they were finding that were like funded by the American government and everything. When you say labs, what kind of labs? Like the COVID labs where they were building and creating pathogens and viruses. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. Oh. A lot of them. And obviously you won't see that, like you said, on the BBC and everything where they have all the reports and everything. They find reports and papers and whatever yeah. it and their embassies and stuff that they found that they couldn't like burn in time because that's when they came over. Obviously, Ukraine, Kiev was hard to invade because it's, it's the city and it's closer towards the Polish border. But the eastern flank was a bit more like difficult for them to maintain. So they obviously had to run and, and a lot of files and everything were left. Mm. Okay. How, how, how do you think it's all going to pan out? If, if, it, if it keeps going the way that it is, I think that one part of Russia, I mean Ukraine, like the western part, is going to end up siding with Poland and Poland's going to take their part and they're going to take it into their own country and the eastern part's just going to turn into Russia again. They're just going to annex it. Both parts are going to annex it and everyone's going to take whatever they can take. What side is the oil on? You know, that's a good question. I have no idea. Because that would the, be the, the, the pipeline does run through Ukraine, I believe. Yeah, because what I'm thinking is that's going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back in the sense of if it's in the east, then the Russians say, yeah, we'll just keep the east. Either if way it's the, in the west, then the Russians will say no. Yeah, no. either way, the pipelines are in, in, the, in the control of Russia and if if they have the gas and they enable it, 
for you to have, then obviously you'll be able to get it. But if you don't, then they'll just keep it for themselves unless you pay them. So like with, with what's happening right now, obviously the weather's not too cold yet. So we haven't really used too much electricity and heating and and whatever else that we would use, right? If it was to be like raining constantly with mm -hmm. the weather being like a lot less humid and whatnot. So we haven't really actually fully experienced that cold winter yet. But I'd say around towards the end of October maybe, or mid-October when it starts to get cold and it starts to get icy, that's when it's gonna hit like Western Europe really, really hard. Mm. So we'll see. But I so mean, it'd be like with the Germans when they, they, you can come into the country very quickly, but you're gonna get frozen out. Yeah, which is pretty much what's gonna happen here, I think. Because the Russians said, if you're gonna sanction us and uh, not, not allow us to like get paid in, in uh, British pounds or euros or US dollars from whichever country's getting oil from them or whatever they're getting from them, then we're going to ask you to pay us in rubles and the UK is definitely not going to convert their British pounds into rubles and then pay them mm. because that would just be a bigger loss for them. What is interesting is that somebody, I heard someone talking and it made me think, Russia's got China and India on their side. And Saudi Arabia now, the United Arab Emirates. So they're going to win. Yeah, because when it comes they've to got resources. the manuf think about it, they've got resources and I they've mean, got the manufacturing they hubs. If you think about it. They've got the manufacturing hubs of the world and then they're in good relations with most of the African countries. And they they've got a large amount of the resources for food, for grain and everything. Yeah. Which makes it even more difficult. Well they can just they've got a big country, they can start doing more agriculture anyway. Yeah, exactly. That yeah. part of the world's like really friendly when it comes to like natural foods and everything. Yeah. So yeah, that thing. So I don't see Putin not winning. No, it's it's almost impossible for for them to lose. And the, the main reason why uh, NATO couldn't fully go into that part of the world with like their jets and everything is because Eastern Europe is basically Eastern Europe. Like, how many of those Eastern European countries have Russian anti-air defense missiles? Mm. If you go into, for example, if America was to fly one of their F-35 jets, which is their fifth uh, generation jet into Ukraine, for example, to offer like air support, it wouldn't last long. Mm. It would literally be shot down within like minutes, if that. Like all of the packages that, the, the support packages that they were sending, which weren't food to Ukraine, <laughs> mm. which was just weapons, they were all getting shot as soon as they were crossing the Polish border into Ukraine. And then the Russians would take them, and then once they would take them, they would basically reverse engineer them, they would sell them to Iran, they would sell them to China, for a lot of money and then they would reverse engineer them and China's known for reverse engineering everything and creating their mm. versions of whatever it's whether it's a tank, jet, helicopter, gun or mm. whatever sort you know mm. so they basically like the war's basically lost on the western side because all the weapons that they they basically made their, their modern weapon and their modern technology mm. it's all like the blueprints are all in the hands of like the eastern countries and now they've created their own pack which is like called the bricks mm. so it's pretty much like impossible for them to actually like win from like from a logical point of view i have another angle on things where britain is one of the biggest arms dealers oh yeah and you get to trial new weapons in war do you see what I mean? Yeah, that's also another good point. And, and I believe that they are happy to allow this thing to run its course because big business, as in arms, weapons, BAA, yeah, 
can try out all these new things and drones. Oh yeah, exactly. So you've got infantry drones now. You've got those robotic carriers that carry ammunition, that like the dog kind of creatures that yeah. follow you behind and all that. So they can test that out and see how effective or ineffective it is in war. Exactly. And it's none of it's at their expense. Well, it's been really interesting talking to you. Yeah. Really interesting talking to you. We wish you well on everything you're going to be doing. Thank you. We hope that episode enhanced your life. We post an interview every day as well as vlogging on our social media channel. Don't forget to subscribe to get our latest episode.